It is Wednesday, May 24th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. The 2023 rankings have been live on DraftSharks.com now for a while. We've already made multiple updates to them for free agency for the NFL draft. You can check them out there. You can apply them to your league so you can see how the projections fit into your specific format. Last week, Jared, we talked through some hard-to-project backfields. So, you know, folks, if you like that show, or if you haven't listened to it yet, if you listen to it and then like it, give us a rating, give us a review. We appreciate that wherever you do your podcast listening. Um, The next two weeks here, starting today, we're going to talk about tough-to-predict pass offenses, focusing on wide receivers, tight ends, especially the target distribution among those positions. Because, Jared, we have to put out numbers for all of them, but you know, ultimately they're all educated guesses and some situations leave us guessing more than others. Yeah. I think it's important to know like what we don't know, right? Like, you know, you said it about targets, like you can't, you can't score a receiving fantasy point without getting a target. So figuring out how many passes these teams are going to throw. And then most importantly, where the targets are going to go. Is that, you know, if you can do that semi accurately, you're like way ahead of the game as far as, you know, projecting these wide receivers and, you know, drafting the best values at wide receiver and tight end. Yeah. And of course, like I said, we do come up with projections for all of them, but we also come up with ceiling and floor projections because we know that these aren't going to just be the numbers for the season for everybody. We're looking at what we think a guy will at least do, what we think the downside risk is, and what we think he could do if he reaches that ultimate ceiling. And that's important because, you know, to be honest, most of the players we're drafting, we're drafting saying, this is what could happen. And if this does happen, I want to make sure to get some of this guy. Other guys might just be like, you know, this is what I expect. They're not going to sway your team one way or the other. But, you know, the the season really could come down to just getting that one or two guys who way exceed what we expect. And that's the ceiling side. Yeah. And these guys we're going to talk about today because they're on teams that are tough to project are going to have the widest ranges of outcomes, right? If you go to your draft forum, you're going to see these guys with, you know, probably lower ceilings, but higher floors. Those are uncomfortable players to draft sometimes, but I think those are the players you want to be drafting in the middle and later rounds of your draft. Because again, like you said, they have those higher ceilings and that's what we ultimately care about. And of course, a lot of times it just comes down to value where a guy is going. We're going to talk about some guys on the show where the only thing they did wrong was let you down last year. And maybe that shouldn't factor in this year, but we're all about value. That's the, the primary. That's the first thing. If you look at the draft sharks, the main tenets of our approach, value is the top thing value in any format value in your drafts value throughout the season. Like that's the basis for it. And, you know, like I said, we're going to get to some specific players where it factors in even more, but let's get to the teams right now, instead of just, you know, dancing around it, we'll start with the Baltimore Ravens, which of course got a lot more interesting on the passing front, you know, first with extending Lamar Jackson after the extended dance between those two, 2018 was the last time the Ravens did not rank in the bottom half of the league in wide receiver target share. That team had Michael Crabtree, John Brown, and Willie Sneed all between 90 and hundred targets. And Jared, Willie Sneed, if he had been on last year's Ravens, he might've been the best wide out (laughs) over the full season because Demarcus Robinson led that team in wide receiver targets at 75. Devin Duvernay was second at 49 targets. Of course, Rashad Bateman missed nearly all the season with a foot injury. He's back. He was on field 
for OTAs, so he should be good to go. And obviously, everybody watching knows they also signed Odell Beckham for big money. They also drafted Zay Flowers in round one. So how have you gone about projecting the targets for this group? Yeah, totally remade wide receiver core and a new offensive coordinator here in Todd Munkin. I think to me, that's the first question with the Ravens is how much are they going to pass? I think we're all assuming they're going to pass more after, you know, replacing Greg Roman, who's always been run heavy with Todd Munkin. So the Ravens pass rates the last four years under Greg Roman, 44%, 44.1%, 56.4%, and 50% for a 48.6% average. Todd Munkin's pass rates in his four seasons as an NFL offensive coordinator, 57.5%, 62.3%, 63.1%, 59 for a 60.6% average. Just a massive shift there in like philosophy. I don't think, and we don't have the Ravens currently projected to throw anywhere near, you know, 60.5% of the time. I don't think building an offense around Lamar Jackson that's that pass heavy is the way to go. But the Ravens are definitely going to pass more than they did under Greg Roman. So that's obviously good news for all these wide receivers. Now figuring out exactly how the targets are going to be dispersed between these, these top three guys is, is definitely a challenge. And I think something we'll have a better answer as we get into the summer. And I think when we get to the ADPs for this group, we're going to see that, that the uncertainty about how much this team's going to pass is kind of depressing all of the wide receiver ADPs here. And it's making it so you just take a shot on somebody rather than having to plant a flag necessarily. I, I agree. The switch in OC the re-signing the quarterback, the drafting the wide receiver, the signing Odell Beckham, it all points to a lot more passing. And anybody who says they know how much Baltimore is going to pass this year is lying because we don't know. They made a lot of changes. They clearly want to do something different. And it can also be a little skewed even when we get into the season because a lot of plays that start out as passes turn into Lamar Jackson runs. So even when it looks like a running play on the stat sheet, it started out as a drop back with at least the opportunity to throw a pass to somebody. So it's going to be a very interesting offense. Um, Let's get to those ADPs because I think, like I said, that helps to kind of sort things out here. You know, we're guessing about how many targets go to Zay Flowers and Odell Beckham who have not been on the team before. We're guessing to a degree with Rashad Bateman, who has not been through a full season since Marquise Brown left the team. All of these guys are going outside the top 40 in underdog drafts. Zay Flowers is first at wide receiver 44, middle around eight. Rashad Bateman, wide receiver 46 at the eight, nine turn. Odell Beckham, wide receiver 51 early in round 10. Jared, to me, it's a, a range where it's it's a good time to pick up a fifth or sixth wide receiver. I think all these guys are interesting. None of them mm-hmm. stands out as a, I got to have this guy. And generally, I've just been saying, if any of the three falls well past ADP in a best ball tournament, I'll go ahead and take him there. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, and I'm with ADP and Beckham being the one I'm least interested in. Um, he just, he hasn't been great since 2018 look at his last three fantasy finishes 2019 35th among wide receivers and ppr points per game 2020 39th 2021 64th obviously missed all of last year after the torn acl and the super bowl turns 31 in november the only positive thing i can point to with beckham is that the ravens gave him 15 million dollars for this one-year deal including 14 million guaranteed that to me was shocking to got that much money and it tells me he's obviously you know the Ravens want him to have a big role but I I just don't see any reason to get super excited about Beckham beyond like the name value 
Yeah, I was more interested in the ceiling on him before they drafted Zay Flowers. And, you know, that might prove to be an overreaction on my part going forward, depending on how quickly Flowers develops and even how quickly they want him to develop. Maybe they took him in round one because they love him long term, but they're going to they're expecting to bring him along slowly. We'll see about that as we get into the summer. But I, I think all the guys are at best fairly priced. I'm not chasing after yeah. any of the three. Frankly, the guy in a Baltimore uniform that I'm most interested in at this point is Mark Andrews. He's the one guy I feel great about. He has led tight ends and target share each of the past two years. He's the only tight end that has hit 25 plus percent target share each of the past three years. I think he's still the easy favorite to lead this team in targets. And even if that target share probably comes down because the wide receivers are better now, if the passing volume comes up, if the offensive efficiency comes up, those two things can easily make up for that volume. And to me, Mark Andrews is the, the, the best bet among tight ends to challenge Travis Kelsey for the top spot this year. Yeah, but there, and I've been drafting a lot of Mark Andrews in round three. I like that price tag. He, he's been elite since he entered the league. Mark Andrews has finished top six among tight ends in yards per route run in all five of his NFL seasons. That includes a third place finish last year. I just don't think he's going to lose a ton of target share to these wide receivers. It probably comes down a bit from, he was at 26.8% last year. That's a massive number. He was at 25% the year prior. I think it's going to remain in that 23 to 25% range, which is a big number for a tight end. And like you said, with the increased passing volume, I think he's going to be a volume monster again. So I'm I'm with you. You know, he's easily the most attractive of these um, Ravens pass catchers, even considering ADP for me. He's going late round three on both. He is the second tight end in ADP, but he's more than two rounds behind Travis Kelsey and not quite a round and a half ahead of TJ Hawkinson. I certainly think Hawkinson could outscore Mark Andrews, but Andrews has been the much better player and much better fantasy producer thus far in both of their careers. So I'm definitely betting on Andrews clearly ahead of Hawkinson. And to me, he's, he's the, you know, there's obviously Travis Kelsey's in his own class behind him. Mark Andrews is the one where I'm like, I don't want to miss out in case there's something big ahead of him. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's Kelsey gap to Andrews, but then there's a gap between Andrews and you know the, the next group of tight ends. Mm-hmm. I think it helps too, that if you look around Andrews at other positions, the wide receivers that are around him in ADP, we've got DK Metcalf right in front of him behind him, Debo Samuel, Calvin Ridley, Amari Cooper. I want Mark Andrews over all three of those guys in general round four. We've got Christian Watson, Mike Williams, Deandre Hopkins, Jerry Judy. So with Mark Andrews going late in round three, both on underdog and on drafters, I can take him over one of those receivers I just named. And then in round four, I can still have a pick among those other guys that I don't think are all that different from Debo Samuel, Calvin Ridley, Amari Cooper. Yeah. Then you can draft your Lamar Jackson in you know, round four or five or whatever, and not have to, to mess with this, this uh, wide receiver group. Maybe a better chance of Lamar Jackson being there. Once we get to redraft time, he has gotten into that three, four turn area and underdog. It was, it was glorious early on when you could get Mark Andrews in round four and Lamar Jackson round five. I was enjoying that. Me too. Let's move on now to the Buffalo bills. And what's not tricky about this one, Jared is Stefan Diggs. He's the guy. He's an easy first rounder in fantasy. He's a strong target collector. He's been over hundred catches and 1200 yards in each of his three bill seasons consistently among the leaders in end zone targets. So where does this group get tricky? Gets tricky beyond Stefan Diggs, and really, for as pass happy and really as productive as this Bills passing game has been the last three years, there hasn't been like 
a good, a really good fantasy option beyond Stefan Diggs. Here's like the Bills top pass catchers outside of Diggs each of the last three years, 2020. And this is all PPR 2020. You had Cole Beasley finishing wide receiver 27. So, okay. He was like a fine wide receiver three. Uh, Dawson Knox was the lead tight end that year and finished tight end 36. 2021 Cole Beasley, second best fantasy wide receiver finished wide receiver 40. Dawson Knox was tight end 11. And last year, Gabe Davis was the second most productive fantasy wide receiver, finished wide receiver 35 in PPR points. Dawson Knox was tight end 13. So, like, yeah, this is an offense we want to invest in, but don't don't get too excited about the, the pass catchers beyond Steph Diggs. And I don't think the people are too excited about Gabe Davis especially. So I think if you were on Gabe Davis last year, you should be on him right now. The only change between where he was then and where he is now is that he let you down in 2022. And Jared, the number that you just said for where he finished in PPR, that's even ahead of where he's going in underdog ADP right now. I know underdogs half PPR. I don't have the half PPR finish in front of me, but it was around the same for Gabe Davis. I'm sure. And last year you were drafting him from like wide receiver 23 to 26. We hated him at that level last year. It was not a good time to target him. Now he's wide receiver 40 on underdog, not a must at that level. As you just alluded to, they might not have another guy that you need to have, but there's certainly upside from that spot, especially because Josh Allen in April was like, hey, we want to get Gabe Davis more catch and run opportunities. I don't want to just throw deep to him and then hope he catches him. Yeah, it was wide receiver 34 and non-PPR points or um, half PPR points per game for Davis. And I do, you know, he does to me have more value on underdog than he does on full PPR sites. But the thing about Davis last season, he went for 88 yards and a touchdown in that season opener against the Rams, suffered a high ankle sprain in practice leading into week two. We talk about all the time, high ankle sprains are, are killers. Like they, they, you know, they, they knock guys out for four to six, seven weeks, but they, they tend to limit effectiveness even beyond that. So the fact that Gabe Davis still finished wide receiver 35 in PPR points per game last year, 17.4% target share. Like it's not, that's not awesome, but that's like a, if he can do that again this year, I think he can, he can, you know, beat his price tag again. And I think there's still a chance he, he beats that target share considering again, he did have the high ankle sprain last year. The bills did lose 117 targets from last year or out the door with Isaiah McKenzie and Devin Singletary departing. I think, you know, Davis could pick up some of those. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely in on Gabe Davis at his current cost. And that's the thing. I said the only thing that changed versus last year. I know that some people are like, oh, Matt, they also drafted Dalton Kincaid. That's a change. Yeah, but like you just said, they also let some players go. And I'm not saying Isaiah McKenzie and Dalton Kincaid are the same talent level, but just in terms of what's available for each guy to get. Um, Dalton Kincaid is the next guy worth talking about here. And, you know, we talked about him plenty leading up to the NFL draft. I love the player. I think he's going too early right now in best ball drafts, though. Tight end 11, late in round 10 on underdog. I mean, that's fine for mixing into your tight ends if you're waiting to that range to take several guys, especially if you're stacking Dalton Kincaid with Josh Allen. And, you know, if you're playing in this format that has those playoff weeks where Dalton Kincaid could be quiet all year and then have a big week 17 and make your season. So that's fine. I'm not saying be totally out on Dalton Kincaid, but. I'm not sure that his full season ceiling reaches well beyond that tight end 11 ADP. So he's also not a must grab player for me, especially when you look at some other, I would say comparable 
players and comparable situations. He's 31 picks ahead of Greg Dulcich in ADP. I don't know how different those two are in floor and ceiling. He's almost four rounds ahead of Sam Laporta. I mean, I know one gets Jared Goff and one gets Josh Allen, but Sam Laporta is also entering an offense with Amon Ross St. Brown and a shrug emoji getting targets, whereas we've got Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis in Buffalo. So, you know, four rounds between those guys seems a little imbalanced too. Yeah, tight end 11 ADP is aggressive for Dalton Kate. I I thought and I still think I was pretty optimistic on his projections, and he lands tight end 16 in our PPR ring. He's not again, you look at the ceiling projection and you know it, it's a bit more exciting, but still tight end eleven in ADP. I looked at the um so can Cade was the sixth tight end to be picked between pick twenty and thirty in the NFL draft over the last ten years. The previous five, here's where they finished in PPR points in their rookie season. 26th, 5th, 25th, 60th, and 14th. So, you know, we're, we're drafting Kincaid to, you know, outscore all but but one of those guys. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm for the most part, you know, we can talk about drafting 100 basketball teams. You want to get some shares of Dalton Kincaid. But like, for, for the most part, I'm out on him at tight end 11. Yeah. Yeah, even for best ball purposes, I would be underweight on Dalton Kincaid here. But especially as we flip from best ball to, you know, playing out the season, I don't think he belongs among the top 12 tight ends. Because when you draft your tight end 11, you're thinking about somebody that you would like to be able to start every week. And I I just don't think that's going to be Dalton Kincaid in terms of the number of targets he gets every week. I also think that his arrival is maybe making Dawson Knox underrated at tight end 21 underdog ADP. I mean, he did finish tight end 14, tight end 10 in PPR points per game the past two years. Dawson Knox has spent 39.5% of his snaps in the slot for his career, high of 47% last year. So he was increasing his slot role before the Dalton Kincaid pick. I think that we should expect those slot snaps to dissipate with Dalton Kincaid there. They're talking about him as the big slot. I think there is room for both of those guys on the same field in the same alignments. The question is, does Dawson Knox take those slot snaps and have more of them go in line, a traditional tight end spot, or does he lose those snaps to Dalton Kincaid or a better blocker? And he's just not on the field as much. I think when you compare the two of them at where you're drafting them, there's just a lot more downside risk to Dalton Kincaid than there is to Dawson Knox. Yeah, Knox is a tough one for me. I mean, the, the Bills just gave him last offseason a pretty nice contract extension. Then they, you know, go and draft Dalton Kincaid in round one. My thing with Knox, I just I don't think he's that good, honestly. Um, you know, twelve point one percent target share last year in his fifteen games. That was actually down a bit from twenty twenty one. He had a twelve point six percent target share. You know, neither of those numbers is, is um, exciting. And then you look at last year among 32 tight ends with 40 plus targets, Knox was 26th in yards per route run, 25th in PFF receiving grade in this like really strong passing game with Stefan Diggs drawing away attention. Like I just, so I don't know, maybe, maybe the bills had, um, you know, second thoughts about that extension they gave him and we're like, you know, we're going to take, take a, take a better guy in Kincaid. And we, we talk all the time too. It's rare for a team to have two fantasy viable tight ends. And I do think Kincaid is, you know, a, the the bet to outscore Dawson Knox in fantasy points this season. So yeah, I mean Knox is going late enough you can take some shots on him, but he he's definitely not a priority target for me. I agree. He's one of those guys that I keep looking at on the board and I'm like, Matt, you probably should like him a little bit better here. But especially when you look at some of the guys that are going even past that, it's like, I don't need to take uh, Dawson Knox here. I can just be out on both Bills tight ends and take yep. other guys and be just fine. 
Agreed. Uh, we talked about the tight ends. Are you interested at all in Khalil Shakir as potentially the slot wideout? Yeah, I mean, he'd be my my pick for that job um, with IK, with Isaiah McKenzie gone. Um, you know, Shakir's a bigger body receiver, but he did spend about half of his snaps in the slot last year. Um, again, you know, the Bills signed Deontay Hardy, but Brandon Bean called him a, a number four wide receiver like shortly after they signed him. So I do think Shakir is the favorite for that spot. The other thing here too, with the Kincaid addition is, you know, how much 12 personnel, how much two tight end stuff are the bills going to run? Cause whenever that happens, that's going to mean Shakir is coming off the field. So he's Shakir is someone you can get with your very last pick in best ball, which, which I think is, is fine. I mean, even if you're just hoping for an injury to, to one of St- Steph Diggs or Gabe Davis, and I think Shakir definitely becomes interesting. So he, he's okay. Um, to take, but I'm not, I'm not like expecting a, a breakout season out of Shakir or Deontay Hardy. I agree. I still think he's decent as a dynasty stash. Even there, I wouldn't say excited, but you know, somebody yeah. to keep around at the bottom of your roster. If you're um, looking at dynasty. Yep. Denver Broncos next up here. And of course the first issue when you're looking at Denver is Russell Wilson. He had those yeah. signs of decline in 2021. It was easy at the time to excuse those because of the finger injury now he's got last year on his resume and there's no excuse for that. You can say what you want about Nathaniel Hackett, but a bad coach doesn't turn an awesome quarterback into a heap of garbage. And that's what we got from Russell Wilson last year. So first question for Denver, can Russell Wilson rebound? We can all have our takes. We'll ultimately see about that. What does Sean Payton's arrival mean? You know, again, it can only be a positive. I got to think after what happened last year, how much of a positive we'll see. So I think Jared, when you, when you consider all of the questions at play here, my starting point for Broncos pass catchers is just don't get too high on anyone. Yeah. I'm not very optimistic about Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson bouncing back. Um, yeah. Hackett was, was a disaster last year. I thought Wilson was part of the problem too. Um, he actually set a career low in PFF passing grade uh, ranked 24th among 31 qualifiers. So that that's definitely the concern here. And I also, I also think that, you know, Peyton's going to want to go run heavier. Um, I think the Samaj P Ryan edition kind of, kind of points in that direction. Um, so I'm pretty tepid about this Broncos passing game in, in general. So I'm not like um, super aggressive at any of these wide receivers or, or the tight end at this point. Yeah. So then the question becomes, how should we sort them? And ADP is really doing that pretty clearly so far. Jerry Judy at wide receiver 22 late in round four. He's just behind Mike Williams and DeAndre Hopkins. He's just ahead of DJ Moore, Keenan Allen, Drake London, and Terry McLaurin. To me, that's an appropriate range. I don't necessarily like him ahead of the guys that are behind him. I He is somebody that I don't want to not get any of. So I'm mixing him in there. I'm not considering him a, a must get. And then next is Cortland Sutton at wide receiver 47, early round nine. To me, Jared, he's appropriately valued now. Like, I guess you could say I'm getting some of Cortland Sutton there. For me, it's not that, but it's like, man, I'm fine with Cortland Sutton there. Yeah, we're actually lower on both guys in our PPR rankings. We have Judy wide receiver 28, Cortland Sutton wide receiver 48. So we're kind of, you know, we're closer on Sutton. Um, You know, Judy was definitely better. Last year, if you look at their 10 healthy games together, Judy did uh, out-target Cortland Sutton 75 to 71. Judy finished with more catches, yards, and touchdowns. And Sutton, Judy also beat Sutton in some of the advanced metrics. We look at yards per target, yards per outrun, PFF receiving grade. Judy beat Sutton and all, all those. So he's definitely, I think, the better fantasy bet. 
But I, I don't love him at wide receiver 22 just because, you know, it is a pretty crowded wide receiver situation. Greg Dalsich coming off a solid rookie season, and we have major questions about the quarterback. Yeah. Um, and then behind them, we have Marvin Mims, wide receiver 73 on underdog. That's late round 14. And then Tim Patrick at wide receiver 87 early in round 18. Those are 18 round drafts. So that means that he's not always going. He's also going right at the end of drafters drafts at this point. So mm-hmm. everybody, you know, I'm not saying Marvin Mims is overrated, but drafters overall are saying I'm definitely taking Marvin Mims well ahead of Tim Patrick, which yeah. I think is a little bit too certain at this point, given that Tim Patrick um, has been decent, did get an extension from the team. He's coming off the ACL tear. So I'm not saying he's somebody that you need to get, but um, I don't know, maybe he and Marvin Mims should be a little bit closer. Of course, you know, it's a new coach, so who knows? They might not yeah. think anything of Tim Patrick. Yeah, I'm one of those drafters that's maybe pushing Marvin Mims ADP up a little bit. I've actually been taking quite a bit of him late um, because I think, like like you alluded to, again, we, we, we've said that Marvin Mims, Sean Payton's first draft pick as the Broncos head coach, the team did trade up to get him late in round two. Definitely seems like he was a target for them. Tim Patrick has no ties to this coaching staff. His ACL was um, last August. So, he, you know, he should be back to hundred percent by the time the season starts. So that's definitely going to be a wide receiver three battle worth keeping an eye on, um, you know, especially with, you know, we should mention with Cortland Sutton, there have been, you know, talks of you know him being a potential trade candidate. We'll see if that comes to fruition, but I do think there's a chance that happens. Then obviously Mims and Patrick would become a lot more interesting, but um, yeah, Mims is the guy for me, especially in basketball. He just says that um, I think you have know, big play profile that, that we kind of look for late in basketball drafts. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he, he's a better upside candidate uh, than Tim Patrick. I think the best thing working for Tim Patrick is that he's now going at the end of draft. So whatever you get from him is a win. Greg Dulcich, the name has been brought up a couple times along the way. I, I'm a fan, 13th among tight ends in target share last year. And that was despite missing the first five games with an injury that, you know, got in his way in summer as well. Missed the final two games. Also finished eighth among all tight ends with any targets in average target depth. He was behind only Darren Waller and Kyle Pitts among tight ends that had more than 10 targets. So we had a guy come in as an attractive prospect and then he earned target share and he worked downfield compared with other tight ends. I think when you put all that with Greg Dulcich only going 15th among tight ends in ADP right now, I think he's at least somebody that you should want to mix in. Yeah, tight end 14 in our um, PPR rankings. I'm definitely in on getting some Greg Dalsage as long as he's in, as he's in you know, tight end 15 range. It was an encouraging rookie season to you know, draw the type of target share he did as a rookie. He finished 17th among tight ends in PPR points per game. That's that's solid for a rookie tight end. Um, I, I just I don't know what Sean Payton thinks about Greg Dalsage. Someone asked Payton about Dalsage back in March, and Payton said, quote, we'll see. Some of it was hard. The evaluation, some of it was hard. I don't know. I don't know what that means. It doesn't, it doesn't sound positive to me though, that like Peyton's convinced this is his guy. They did swing that trade for Adam Troutman during the draft or, you know, spent time with Peyton in New Orleans. I don't think Adam Troutman's very good. I think Dulcich is definitely better, but ultimately it depends on, you know, who Sean Peyton is going to put on the field. That's what's most important. So I'm going to be keeping a close eye on that as we you know start to get some practices and get into training camp for Denver. I think it's a good time to get Greg Dulcich in dynasty, especially if you're in a tight end premium. Cause you know, we'll see where it goes. I, I don't think that he's going to stay under the Sean Payton. It's hard <laughs> rock for too long, but you know, like you said, we'll watch that and see where it goes right now. Just to give a little bit more context, he's in between Cole Komet and Tyler Higby in underdog ADP. So I think uh, you have to like Greg Dulcich's upside versus those two guys. For sure. 
What about you? Are you excited about any of these Denver pass catchers? Maybe you're just betting on a Russell Wilson bounce back and you think he's a little bit undervalued, or maybe you don't care about the Broncos at all. You have a hot take about the Ravens. Let us know in the YouTube comments right down here. We'd love to hear it, whatever it is, your hot take on any of the teams or anything else. Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be our next team. And Jared, the first thing I know about this passing game is that I am not comfy paying wide receiver 17 prices for Calvin Ridley. That's late in round three on underdog. It's a, that's a pass for me. Yeah, me too. Um, it, it's not laying the downside enough for me. Um, now I do think Ridley has the best chance in this group to like emerge as a true alpha receiver in Jacksonville because, because he, we've seen him do it right. Last two seasons, we saw Calvin Ridley 24.7 and 25.9% target shares. You know, just by comparison, Christian Kirk has never topped a 23% target share. Um, Zay Jones has never topped a 21% target share. Ridley's the only one among these three that's proven he can be a true, you know, number one wide receiver in the NFL. So I do think he has the highest ceiling among these three. The guy didn't play football last year. He only played five games in 2021. He missed most of that season with injury. He's going to turn 29 in December, so it's not like worrisome level yet. But you know, like he's he's not young anymore, especially coming off that long layoff. Like it's a concern. So um, yeah, it's just, he's just Ridley's just too risky for me to take him at a wide receiver wide receiver 17 type price tag. Yeah, and I think even if he's the target leader here, it's going to be, it looks to me like a situation where week to week, we're not going to be sure where the targets are going. We've got Christian Kirk, we've got Zay Jones, we've got Evan Ingram. Uh, You know, all three of those guys were with the team last year. I just think it's going to be spread around a little bit more. And, you know, I don't, I, I think when you throw that in, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure Calvin Ridley has the ultimate ceiling to counteract that week to week stuff. So I agree, he's probably the best bet to lead in fantasy points here but I think he's being drafted close to what his realistic ceiling is this year. I don't, I don't think he has upside into the top 12. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's that's where I've got him. Yeah, and so Zay Jones is actually my favorite among these three at cost. Um, I, I, I think he's going too late. I mean, I, obviously tougher target competition this year, but Marvin Jones is gone. He leaves behind 81 targets. So like, you know, Ridley soaks up that a little more. I still Zay Jones only saw 12 fewer targets than Christian Kirk last year and he played one fewer game it was a 21 percent target share for zay jones a 22 percent target share for christian kirk i think kirk's the better player i think kirk's going to score more fantasy points this season but i think the gap between them and adp is, is too big so i've actually been taking a lot of zay jones especially on my trevor lawrence teams i agree with that and you know looking at that underdog adp it's wide receiver 27 for christian kirk which i think is fair early round five mm-hmm. Um, he was wide receiver 20 and half PPR points per game last year in his first Jacksonville season, just wide receiver 23 in target share though. So, you know, that could certainly come down with Calvin Ridley in the mix. We should probably bet on that coming down a little bit. So I think it's, it's a fair spot for Christian Kirk, but wide receiver yep. 57 for Zay Jones. I mean, he finished 32nd in half PPR points per game last year. He's now the fourth Jaguars pass catcher in ADP. And he's even the second Zay in ADP trailing Zay Flowers. So I, I think a little bit underrated there. And you mentioned Trevor Lawrence, which I, I think is key because best ball teams are going to be the most attractive spots to draft these guys because of that, you know, target distribution that's likely to be inconsistent week to week. Trevor Lawrence, QB eight. I think he's got the upside to be a top four fantasy quarterback by the end of the year. Certainly the upside to be, you know, to hit that QB one spot in any given week along the way. So looking at him as a quarterback that I don't mind targeting at all, I think that makes it more attractive to take either 
Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram at their prices, probably uh, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram more so than Kirk and definitely all more than Calvin Ridley, like I said. Yep, I'm with you there. I, I have a lot of Trevor Lawrence, um, you know, year two in Doug Peterson's system, just year three for Trevor Lawrence, improved pass catching core, gives us some rushing upside. So I like Lawrence a lot. And I do think Evan Ingram is still a, a fine value, nowhere near as strong of a value as he was last year. But Ingram coming off a tight end five finish in PPR points, he was fifth among tight ends and targets, a 16.5% target share. That probably comes down a little bit with Calvin Ridley in town, but it can come down, you know, percentage point or two and i think he can still pay off his adp right now yeah now he did rank just 14th among tight ends and target share according to the rankings on our site which accounts for time missed so it only counts the games that these guys played um i think that he's appropriately valued at that tight end eight adp as you said 24.3 percent of his regular season points last year came in that week 14 game against tennessee so that's one concern for me in that his final fantasy point total is skewed a little bit by that huge game. Um, did love him last year in fantasy drafts. He was going absurdly late. Like I said, he's appropriate now. So he's, he's not a target for me. He's also not somebody I'm fading. Yeah, that's fair. We actually have him 10th in our PPR ranking. So a little below ADP, but I, all those guys are kind of close in that range. And again, you know, if you have a Trevor Lawrence team or, or whatever, I, I do think Evan Ingram is um, he's, he's fairly priced. Yeah, the difference between 10 and 8 at tight end is not somebody that I'm either <laughs> avoiding or going hard after. Yep. Kansas City Chiefs next here. Last season, Juju Smith-Schuster, McCole Hardman tied for 33rd in points per game, PPR points per game, among all wideouts. McCole Hardman finished 33rd in half PPR points per game. Juju finished 38th. Those were the best performances we've gotten from any Chiefs receiver not named Tyreek Hill since Patrick Mahomes arrived. So, Jared, as we flip to this year and look at where everybody's being valued, I don't think that anybody's dramatically overpriced at ADP before we talk about those numbers. I do think, though, that people generally overrate the available ceiling here in their perception of who is a, a strong target or not at wide receiver among Chiefs. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it is, it is kind of like the, the bills, right? And in this case, it's, it's Travis Kelsey versus Stefan Diggs that kind of kind of soaks up um, a lot of Mahomes' production. It's it's still a, a good spot. Though. So I looked at the Chiefs wide receivers rankings in total PPR points since Mahomes took over. 2018, they were eighth. The Chiefs scored the eighth most wide receiver PPR points. 2019, 12th. 2020, eighth. 2021, 10th. Last year, they slipped to 15th without Tyreek Hill. So, you know, still above average. So th there are still fantasy points to be had here. It's just, you know, in recent seasons, outside of Tyreek Hill, we haven't seen any, like, one player um, kind of, you know, stand up and, 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 and take most of them. Yeah, and I mean, that's what I think is going to continue here. I don't I don't see any reason to believe that one of these players among Kadarius Tony Skymore, Rashi Rice, you know, whoever else you feel like throwing in. I don't, I don't have a reason to believe one of those guys is going to step up and be the leader. I think it's going to be like last year where stuff gets spread around. Yeah. But I think if one guy does it, it's going to be Darius Tony. Um, just what we've seen him do. And I, I get, it's been a, a tiny sample size. He's been in the NFL two seasons now. He's had basically eight healthy games, um, but he's drawn a 20% target share in those eight healthy games. If he can draw a 20% target share in Kansas city, this season, he's, he's going to be a serious fantasy factor. He's also averaged 2.12 yards per route run for his career. Um, just to put that in perspective, only 12 wide receivers with 50-plus targets topped that mark this season. And I, the Chiefs really like this guy. Um, you know, 
According to Adam Teicher of ESPN, the Chiefs wanted Tony to fall to them in round one of the 2021 draft. It sounds like they were prepared to take him if he did. They tried to trade for him last spring. They did trade for him in the middle of last season. So um, I, I just, again, if someone's going to emerge as the top wide receiver in Kansas City, the clear top wide receiver, I do think it's going to be Kadarius Tony, And he is a guy I'm willing to take shots on at his wide receiver three price tag. I will definitely agree that he is a talented guy, which is, of course, why he was around one pick, especially after not playing a whole lot of wide receiver in college. Uh, I think the target share and the yards per route numbers are skewed a little bit. The 20% target share for me, for a guy that the Giants drafted um, in round one and to a team that was bad at wide receiver, that's, that's not a great number. It's an okay number. The yards per route, you know, again, he joined this team that was bad at wide out as a first round pick. They want him to get the ball. He gave him the ball when he was on the field. So that's going to skew that yards per route number a little higher. Similar for the Chiefs last year, when he was on the field, they were throwing the ball his way. He was not on the field a whole lot. That included in the playoffs where Sky Moore ran twice as many routes as Kadarius Tony did. Justin Watson ran more routes than Kadarius Tony did. So, you know, I know that he had just joined the team midseason, but so far we've got a guy who was so disappointing in his first stop that they traded a first round pick away for a third rounder. And then we got a guy who, you know, got on the field marginally for the team that traded that draft pick to get him. So I think it's a fair spot. I think I'm fine with taking some shots at Kadarius Tony where he's going wide receiver 35 on underdog, but he's right ahead of George Pickens. To me, those two are pretty similar in terms of, you know, floor versus ceiling. If you want to take shots on both, go ahead. I think both of them are overrated for what their real ceiling potential is. He's going ahead of Traylon Burks, who I'm definitely taking ahead of Kadarius Tony. Going ahead of Deontay Johnson, I'm Deontay Johnson ahead of Tony very easily. And going ahead of Gabe Davis, I'll take Gabe Davis with Josh Allen over Kadarius Tony with Mahomes. I'm with you on Burks and Deontay Johnson over Kadarius Tony and Tyler Lockett's only four picks ahead of Tony in underdog ADP. So I, I, and that's why I don't have a ton of Tony right now. Like I, I want to get pieces of the guy and you know, we'll see how these ADP shake out, but I'm definitely with you on, um, you know, Burks and Deontay going behind Tony being, being better picks at this point. And if I can get Lockett over Tony, I'm, I'm definitely doing that. Looking at the other chiefs wide receivers. And I'm realizing now I didn't even look at uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling's ADP. That's how much I'm thinking of him at this point, but sky Moore, wide receiver 56 middle around 11 and under underdog drafts, Rashi rice wide receiver 59. That's later in the same round in terms of overall ADP rice. I'm staying back from at this point, rookie wide receivers tend to come along a little slowly under Andy Reed. It's not the easiest position to learn for him. Even if you look at Tyreek Hill's rookie year, he led chiefs receivers in targets that season. He was still 34 targets behind Travis Kelsey's team lead. He worked a much shorter range than he ultimately did over the next couple years with the chiefs. He also ran the ball a lot. So they got Tyreek Hill involved a lot, but it was in a much different role than what he came to play. So even Tyreek Hill is the extreme example was a little bit limited in terms of his rookie year usage. Sky Moore, terrible rookie year was a pretty good prospect was around two picks. So I think that there's some upside to the player. I'm not planting a flag for him, but if I'm comparing Sky Moore at wide receiver 56 to Kadarius Tony at wide receiver 35, it's Sky Moore for me. Yeah, Sky Moore is still the my like you know next guy in this Chiefs wide receiver core behind Kadarius Tony. Um, you know he did struggle to get on the field as a rookie, which can be a bad sign. Sky Moore was fourth among KC wide receivers in snaps. He was fifth among them in pass routes. That's that's you know worrisome. 
he did earn targets at a decent clip. Sky Moore, 1.182 targets per route run last year. That was actually just ahead of Juju Smith-Schuster, who was at 0.181. And it was way ahead of McCole Hardman and um, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. So like when Sky Moore was on the field, he was getting targets. So he just needs to earn his way on the field a bit more. I think it's definitely possible in year two. Let's remember, this guy, Sky Moore played quarterback and cornerback in high school. Quarterback and cornerback. Just a three-year college player from a smaller school at Western Michigan. Like it, to me, it wasn't a surprise that you know he, he wasn't able to carve out a huge role as a rookie. I definitely think a um, year two jump is possible, and I, I would, I would you know, definitely side with him over Rashi Rice at this point as a redraft pick. And like you said, did well on targets per route. He, Tony, and Kelsey all finished ahead of Juju Smith-Schuster. Mm-hmm. Tony was ahead of Sky Moore. Yeah, Moore was on the field for more routes than Tony. You know, it's it's not apples to apples because they were on the team for different amounts of time. But we're also talking about a rookie. So it's all stuff where you can point to small samples and say there might be something there. I think as long as you're not too set, I'm not planning a flag for any of these guys. If we're taking shots on them at appropriate prices, um, that's where I'm comfy. And then, you know, obviously we're talking some Travis Kelsey, but there's not much to say. The guy is the king. He belongs in round one. You don't have to take him there if you don't want to, but he belongs there. I don't even know what I was doing recently, but I, I was just looking at um, tight, you know, total tight end points last season. Travis Kelsey scored 103 more PPR points than the second best fantasy tight end last year. 103 more points than any other tight end. Only four wide receivers scored more PPR points than Travis Kelsey. So, I mean, yeah, I, he 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 should be a top a top six pick in, in most fantasy drafts to me. And that was at age 33. And everybody was like, well, Tyreek Hill's gone. Defenses are going to be all over him. He was like, so <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, it's kind of silly. Yep. So whether, whether you are chasing Kadarius, Tony, um, whether you are a little bit more apprehensive, like I am, you can set up your draft sharks draft war room right now to see exactly how he and all these other chiefs pass catchers are valued in your league. You know, we were just talking about Travis Kelsey. You know, he's our number one tight end. He's everybody's number one tight end, but you can find out exactly how to value him versus the running backs versus the wide receivers in your draft versus the quarterbacks. If you're in a super flex format, that's where this draft war room really helps to value things. Underdog just launched its second poodle tournament, $7 entries, 20 entry max. So that's a lot less than those big tournaments where people can enter 150 teams. Maybe it gives a better shot to you if you're not a max drafter um, in these on in these uh, best ball tournaments. You can sync your draft war room to underdog. You can get our values applied to that scoring system, helping you throughout the draft. And you can use our promo code Draft Sharks to get a full deposit match up to 100 bucks. So if you go into Underdog for the first time, if you haven't played before, you deposit 100 bucks. You'll get a hundred bucks for free with promo code draft sharks. That's 14 free poodles. You've almost max entered that tournament for free, or you wait for a puppy to come out. That's the $5 tournament. You get 20 free ones there. If you want to either way, it's free money to play with promo code draft sharks. If you go on underdog and then you sync underdog to the draft sharks draft war room, it does the setup for you. You don't really have to worry about it. So it's easy. It's fun. And, and Hold on. And there's the and there's the draft war room sidebar, which is freaking awesome. It's an extension where if you're drafting an underdog on your computer, you'll have the draft war room little sidebar right on your right hand side with the top five players available. Again, 
based on the, the league scoring system, based on ADP, based on your team, it's all right there. So you don't need to be flipping back and forth between screens. That's definitely helpful if you're doing a fast draft where it's, I think it's 30 second clock on underdog. Um, it's very helpful to not to be flipping back and forth between screens. Absolutely. Not all the functionality of that draft war room, but like you said, right there, it's right in your war room. As things get close, you know, sometimes you're like, Oh crap, who do I pick? You can see who we'd recommend um, right there on the side of your underdog draft room, New York jets to close things out. And it's understandable, Jared, to me that this team was mid pack last year in neutral pass rate. Maybe they even should have been lower than that. And, you know, just in case anybody who's watching or listening is not familiar with what neutral pass rate means that's measuring the rate at which a team passed in neutral game situations so you know it's trying to filter out when a team is way ahead or way behind because if you're trailing you're obviously going to be passing more if you're way ahead you're more likely to run the ball so for neutral situations the Jets were mid-pack last year um the Packers back when Nathaniel Hackett was still there as the OC and Aaron Rodgers, of course, as the quarterback, they finished 11th and 10th in that category in the last two years with both of those guys on the team. I think when you put that stuff together, this should at least be an okay situation for overall passing volume. Maybe a good one, depending on what they decide to do with these jets. But I think we should, we should probably set the bar at this should be okay for passing volume. So where do you go from there? Yeah, no, maybe that was my first note here too, that the Jets were neutral and uh, were, you know, league average and neutral pass rate and sixth in just raw pass attempts last year with, you know, Zach Wilson and Mike White, White at quarterback. Now they get Aaron Rodgers. And Joe Flacco. And Joe Flacco. Um, you know, th- this team should, you know, probably jump, you know, up into the top 10 in pass volume and probably most of these major passing stats. So obviously a big upgrade for all these pass catchers. I think the first guy to talk about here is obviously Garrett Wilson, who despite that poor quarterback play had a really strong rookie season, 23.4% target share for Garrett Wilson last year to do that as a rookie is super impressive. He averaged 1.85 yards per route run, which is a very strong number. It's even more impressive when you compare it to the rest of the Jets wide receivers who averaged just 1.10 yards per route run. So Wilson, yeah, we don't need to tell you guys this. He was awesome as a rookie. You should take a step forward in year two and get a quarterback upgrade. So, you know, he, I think, is um, pretty appropriately priced. He's not coming cheap in drafts. You're going to have to spend a, a second-round pick to get in, which which feels about right. Yeah, so I think that's the question on him. He's wide receiver nine and underdog ADP right now. He's just inside of round two. It looks like pretty much wherever you draft, you know, assuming it's not a super flex draft, you're going to have to take him before the middle of round two. So yeah. are you comfy taking Garrett Wilson in that range? Because I personally, I haven't landed on him very much. I mean, that's a bit higher than we have him ranked, right? He's wide receiver 11 in our PPR rankings. I, I definitely don't think he's like a screaming value there. He's also a guy I don't want to like not have any of because of, again, Awesome prospect, first round pick, awesome rookie season. Now gets the quarterback upgrade. Like it, it wouldn't be surprising if he, you know, finishes higher than where we have him ranked right now. Yeah, I'm with you. Every time that I don't talk myself into drafting him, I'm thinking ah, maybe I should be getting more Garrett mm-hmm. Wilson. I certainly don't think in terms of what I would say to other people about how to value him, I can't make a strong argument that he is, you know, behind yeah. guys like Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, T. Higgins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think to me, the biggest question on Wilson is his target share. Like, where does it go from last year's mark? How does Rodgers disperse these targets? Because we'll get into it here. Rodgers comes into Green Bay, brings along Alan Lazard with him, brings along Randall Cobb with him. Like, those guys shouldn't impact Wilson's target share. And I really don't think they will. 
that, I, I guess that that's the kind of only risk on Wilson if you're drafting him as a, you know the the ninth receiver off the board. Yeah, and of course it's splitting hairs a bit, but it is up in the splitting hairs um, range of fantasy drafts. So ADP is not saying that you should worry too much about Alan Lazard right now. So I, you know, I, again, I'm closer to telling myself that I'm wrong for not drafting more Garrett Wilson than I am to saying you should not be drafting Garrett Wilson where he's going. Alan Lazard, ADP wise, wide receiver 52 on underdog early in round 10, just behind Odell Beckham, just ahead of Tyler Boyd and Jacoby Myers. I think overall, it's definitely a fair range and there's a chance that he's underrated at that level, I think. It feels kind of gross, but I think Lazard is a pretty strong value in drafts right now. Um, the pe- Again, he, ha- he has the history with Aaron Rodgers, obviously. The Jets gave him a four-year, $44 million deal with 22 of that, $22 million of that guaranteed. Just by comparison, because they also added McCole Hardman, he got a one-year, $4.5 million deal with $4 million guaranteed. So, like, the contracts say the Jets view Alan Lazard as, you know, probably their clear – number two wide receiver. Again, he does have the the rapport with Aaron Rodgers. And last year, Lazard did set career highs with 100 targets, 60 catches, 788 yards. All those were career highs. And that was despite him missing two games. He saw a 20% target share in his 15 games. If he can even come like close to that mark, say like 18% target share, he, he's going to beat that wide receiver 52 ADP. And it's more guaranteed money than Juju Smith-Schuster got on the market. It's more than Jacoby Myers got. You know, you can say, yeah, because Aaron Rodgers told him they had to. (laughs) I'm sure that there was some communication on that. I would like to believe that even the Jets have enough of a backbone that if they didn't really like Alan Lazard, they'd be like, nah, that's cool. We're going to take one of these other guys that we like better. We're not going to spend that much money on Alan Lazard. So I agree. We should read something into this money. I think he is a value where he's going. I don't love Alan Lazard, the player, but if Aaron Rodgers does, that matters a whole lot more than how I feel about him. Behind those guys, I'm not sure there's a whole lot more worth talking about. Nicole Hardman, wide receiver 83, early round 17 on underdog, underdog is fine. I don't think he's a target player, but, you know, he gets, I guess, more attractive in that playoff week format where all you need is one big outing to make your season. Yeah, I'm a little surprised he's going that late just because it seems like Hardman has had some fans. He did have, you know, fans in Kansas city. Now he, you know, gets another solid quarterback in, in Aaron Rodgers. Um, so I actually think he's fine at that price tag. I'm not super excited about him. I don't, I think it's too late to expect a breakout from Nicole Harden, right? He spent four seasons in Kansas city, never reached 41 receiving yards per game. Um, never topped a 12% target share. Like I just think he is what he is at this point, but at wide receiver 83, he is a guy, I think he's probably this team's number three, wide receiver and he does have big playability. So, you know, in best ball, especially, I think, you know, he's worth a shot if he's your, you know, eighth wide receiver. And to me, he's the kind of guy that you only take in best ball. I just, I don't think there's any point in taking him at any point on a redraft roster. You know, if you're in some super deep league, then maybe, but when you're in those late rounds of a lineup setting league, the, the guys that you want to take at the end are players who at some point could turn into somebody that get you regular targets. And that's not yep. Nicole Hardman. We could have Garrett Wilson and Alan Lazard both get hurt here. I'm still not going to bet that Nicole Hardman's getting eight plus targets a game. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, of course, as we said, the Jets also added Randall Cobb. Corey Davis is still on this roster. And is he sticking around? Because, you know, when I, when I did our Jets projections, it was kind of assuming Corey Davis was going to be gone because that was kind of what it sounded like a month ago. But he's still on the team as of now. The, the front office made some comment pretty recently that they plan on keeping Corey Davis around. So that that's kind of um, that's kind of the sticking point of this whole situation because you know Davis is a guy who you know former first round pick. He's he's 
been a full-time player throughout his career. I don't know what, what the Jets plans for him are and kind of, you know, who that would impact on this wide receiver depth chart behind Garrett Wilson. I think he's interesting as a very end of draft pick. He's wide receiver 95 in underdog, which makes him often undrafted in those 18 round drafts. He only finished 77th and half PPR points per game last year though. So it's quite possible he makes absolutely no impact, but you know, mm-hmm. there is the chance that he's their wide receiver three. There is the chance that he gets either cut or traded and goes to a team that wants him a little bit more and has more opportunity left. I mean, he's still on a pretty big contract. Uh, he's getting more than 10 million a year. So I, I don't see why the Jets would keep him if they do like McCole Hardman better than him. And if Randall Cobb is at least similar but, you know, I guess we'll see what happens. Certainly he's going in a range where it doesn't matter. If you feel like taking him, go for it. You're not hurting yourself. Sure. And then Tyler Conklin is the tight end. Tight end 25, it's kind of similar. First half of round 17, that's fine. You're not killing yourself with any pick there. But even at tight end 25, that puts Tyler Conklin ahead of Hayden Hurst, Noah Fant, Jelani Woods, and Hunter yeah. Henry. I'll take all those guys ahead of him. Man, it's tight end that deep this year that's it's funny that those guys are all i know i know we say this every year but like like tight end 25 to be rattling off those names yeah i guess that's why i don't have more conklin because i do prefer most of those guys over him you know he did see 87 targets last year on a 14 percent target share he was eighth among tight ends and targets eighth in catches 12th in receiving yards um the target competition is probably a bit tougher now, I mean, you know, the, the Jets did lose Elijah Moore. Uh, you know, they, they make these additions in Lazard, Hardman, and Cobb. Um, so Conklin's volume probably sinks a bit. A quarterback upgrade? I don't know. I, I think um, he's one of those guys that's probably a good bet to, you know, finish a lot higher than tight end 25 if he stays healthy. Just kind of tough to get super excited about him. I don't think he's like a, a big-time talent or anything. Yeah, and I honestly don't buy the, uh, the shot that he finishes a lot higher than tight end 25. He got boosts from the other quarterbacks being in. And obviously Aaron Rodgers is an upgrade over Joe Flacco or Mike White, um, you know, even those uh, legends. But hey, I just think if you look at everything at tight end there, there's a lot more upside in those other guys that we talked about than uh, Tyler Conklin. Yeah, don't disagree. Well, that's going to do it for this talk of the AFC pass catchers. If you like this show, if you like what we do in general, please subscribe, rate, review, you know, whatever's appropriate for wherever you're taking in this podcast. We definitely appreciate that support, um, you know, wherever it comes, it helps us out. And of course, check the full rankings for wide receiver, for tight end, for running back, obviously all the other positions at draftsharks.com. Create your draft war room to see exactly how they fit into the scoring format, wherever you're playing. And Jared, I think it's worth mentioning as we're talking about the rankings, like you and I have differing opinions on players here and there. But when people get to the rankings on our site, they're not going to get these differing opinions. They're going to get one clear view of how we project that guy and how he fits into their scoring format. That's right. And if you don't like our projections, you can always make adjustments yourself on draft sharks that will be reflected automatically and instantly right on your draft forum. So you should probably listen to us. But if you think we're wrong, go ahead and go ahead and change them. We're not going to be right about everybody, so feel free to pick a couple of guys and move them around to make that team yours. It is your team, ultimately. Jokes aside, it's your team, so make sure you like what you're putting together. For Jared Smola and the entire Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 